Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. So we begin our series this week um, in Advent called A Better Christmas. Uh, We are connecting it to what we've been doing over the last couple of months out of the book of Hebrews. What is a better Christmas. And um, for many of us that don't necessarily have high church history, even the concept of Advent is uh, one that we need reminding of. And uh, because Mitch did so well last week, didn't he do so well last week? Did exceptionally well. Um, And he, uh, um, he helped us understand the deep truths of the covenant of God through skateboarding. Um... What I thought is I would try and help us understand the deep truths of Advent through skateboarding. So so here we go. Okay, Priscilla. I know. Priscilla's already crying. Okay. Advent is about preparing mentally, emotionally, and even physically uh, for the coming of a person. And just like this man who was meeting his foster child for the first time thought, how can I prepare in order to make her feel welcome? Uh, There's a sense of, of... a desire to make this time more meaningful. And for us, what we're doing is we're wanting a greater sense of occasion as we celebrate not only the incarnation of Jesus, but as we long for and anticipate his coming. And the challenge with Advent, though, is that it's full of paradoxes. I mean, as a preacher, hopefully what you are hearing from me every week is that I'm talking about the reality of Jesus's tangible, steady presence in your life every moment of every day. I'm encouraging rhythms to engage with a Savior that is present, that is active, and that is speaking. And for me, saying to anticipate the arrival of someone that's already here is, it's a little bit odd, right? But just like Good Friday and Easter Sunday gives us an opportunity to kind of set our receptors up in a different way, where we intentionally and thoughtfully look to answer three questions, or look to engage in three postures. 
Um, and the one posture is to just look. To just look at our world and admit that it is dark and that it is combative. To remember, to remember what it felt like when the light of the glory of God shone into the darkness of our own hearts and we were saved. To remember that to look forward to that day when the light of the glory of God will not be a celestial sun, but it will be the King of Kings who's seated on the throne and has made all things right. And that as we enter this time of Advent, we, we actually enter it with a sense of reminder and longing and anticipation and connection. And the other paradox of, of Advent is this. It is one of the busiest times of the year. We have year-end quotas to meet. We have staff parties. We have Christmas parties. We have children's recitals. We have all sorts of things that are going down. And in an attempt to slow down, contemplate, and anticipate, it seems like the world is speeding up. And we, we find it very difficult to be intentional and to be focused and to be thoughtful. I mean, even someone as kind as Karen finds it difficult during times like these. It was about four years ago where I asked her permission to tell the story. <laughs> it was about four years ago when my grandma was here. My grandma's 90. She's now passed away. And, uh, and so she took her to Brea Mall. They were going to go shopping at the mall, which is what people used to do for Christmas. And... Um, and so she stopped at, uh, at the place where it would be easy for my grandma to get out. And as she stopped there, there was this guy who just laid on the horn um, and just was like, Barrr! and because my wife is so full of the spirit and love and joy and peace, and because she was taking time to be more thoughtful and contemplative during this time of Christmas, she stepped out of the car, slammed the door and went like this, what? She's 90 years old. What do you want, you know? <laughs> it's difficult. It's difficult when we have all these things that are swirling around in our mind to actually say, okay, Father, help me by your Spirit to be more thoughtful, more contemplative, more intentional about what it means to, to um, engage in Advent with a sense of longing and anticipation. The other challenge of Advent is that we are more aware than ever of what it is that we are lacking. Um, that Thanksgiving comes and then Black Friday comes. I'm not going to get into any of that stuff. But, but, but what we are more aware of right now, more than anything else, is what we don't have. Um, the thing, the possession that we don't have, or that area in our life that, that we feel is empty that somehow needs to be filled. We want the perfect Christmas present. We want a, a better career. We want a better house. We want a wife. We want a husband. We want a child. We want everyone in our family to be together. Or we want meaning. We want purpose. Uh, we want a sense of legacy. But there is something that every single human being longs for. And even though we try and fulfill those longings in different ways, Every single human being, regardless of religious affiliation, or regardless of where they are on their journey of faith, they want to experience love, joy, peace, and hope. And that's what Advent gives us the opportunity to engage in. Our desire for the Christmas miracle, every single one of us, is a God-given, image-bearing desire to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness, because we want peace, hope, love, and joy, not as some kind of Christmas triviality, but as a tangible reality of God with us. 
And so we're going to look at what it looks like to have a deeper sense of peace, a stronger hope, and a persistent joy. And this morning, we're going to look at what a deeper, better peace looks like. We're going to look at uh, Luke 2, verse 4 to 14. We're going to look at a couple that weren't experiencing peace in the midst of their circumstances because their whole lives had been turned upside down. And there was nothing external that was happening to them that could lead them to a place of peace. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. Why did they need to do that? Why did he need to uproot his uh, pregnant, betrothed wife? Because they had called for a census and he needed to return to the city um, where his family line was from. He went to be enrolled there together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, and wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them, and the Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in the heavens and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Some of you will know the translation, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to all men. What is peace and why do we long for it? I think the tragedy is that we have lost it. And it wasn't necessarily us that lost it, but it was our first parents that lost it. Now, I know the saying, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. That's not true. Okay, That's not true because you cannot long for something that you have never experienced in the first place. There's a sense in which if, if I say to you, don't you miss apple pie and you've never tried apple pie? Well, there's no way in which you can miss that. And part of the reason that there's this ache in our heart is because there was something that we had that we lost. There was something that was present that is no longer there. There was something that is beautiful that is now marred. And that is what happened in the garden. Peace was present and it was lost. Adam and Eve experienced a peace with each other, a peace with God, a peace with the world that was in perfect harmony. I mean, for heaven's sake, there weren't even weeds prior to the fall. There was no pain, no sickness, no death, no war, no disease. There was no shame. There was no guilt. But because they believed the lie that God was somehow withholding good things from them, they rebelled against God. And in that moment, selfishness and fear and violence, abuse, lack, pain, and every brokenness and sin that we deal with in that moment was present and peace was lost. And that's the fall of man. And that is why we celebrate in terms of Chris, Christmas, because the incarnation of Jesus is the beginning of the restoration of that peace for us. All of creation groans, Scripture tells us, like a woman in labor for the wholeness, the peace, the shalom of God to be restored. 
And all of this groaning is made worse because we try to soothe this groaning with pseudo-peace. So let's look at what peace isn't. We had peace, we lost it. What peace isn't? And, you know, we, we had a guy from Saudi Arabia stay with us. I spent a year in Saudi Arabia, and there's a greeting in Saudi Arabia. It's called, Assalamu Alaikum, peace be upon you. Or how many of you guys say peace as you say goodbye? Maybe, I don't know, that was the 60s, 70s? <laughs> Sappingtons, peace, man. <laughs> Paul starts his letters with grace and peace to you, or shalom. It comes from the Hebrew word, when all is it is supposed to be, when everything is whole, when everything is flourishing. In the, in the Old Testament, you were considered to be in a state of shalom where all your sheep were accounted for. How many of you feel that right now? All your sheep are accounted for? In Greek, the word irini means a state of peace from which all blessings flow for both land and people. It's such a big word. It's such a multifaceted word. It isn't just a greeting, the way we say hello, the way we say goodbye, but, but it is important in the way in which we greet people, what we're saying is peace be upon you. I want you to experience peace. Uh, when we leave, when Jesus told his first disciples, when you go into homes and, and you experience hospitality, when you leave, pray the peace of God uh, upon that home. It is something that we get to do. And peace isn't just a greeting. Peace isn't just, it isn't at all actually a ceasefire. Those of us that have been following the war in Israel will know that the ceasefire ended on Friday. And so now hostilities have begun. But what is a ceasefire? A ceasefire is when two rivals stop animosity for a predetermined amount of time or for a predetermined purpose. And usually what happens is one blames the other for the fact that the ceasefire doesn't continue. Now the ceasefire is not peace. The ceasefire is not shalom. Uh, because peace is not just the absence of conflict, it is the presence of wholeness, of flourishing, and cooperation. Now, would we rather have ceasefire in the natural than, than war? Of course we would. But we've also got to recognize that this is not what we were designed to experience. Neutrality with God was never something that was an option for us. Because Scripture tells us that while we were still enemies of God that God reached in and reconciled us through Jesus and made us children and co-workers. Salvation in Jesus is not just a ceasefire. Salvation in Jesus is Him offering us peace with the Father, wholeness and flourishing and joy and everything else that we celebrate during this time. God is not tolerating you. Right now during that ceasefire, there's still a hatred and an animosity, and pain, and all of those kinds of things that both people are experiencing. But there is a tolerating of each other right now. God does not tolerate you. That's not what salvation is about. He didn't send His Son in order to fulfill some kind of legal requirement. He sent His Son so that He could be with you. And that as you engage in that relationship, you get to experience the fullness and wholeness of the shalom of God. I mean, ceasefire relationships are tiring. They are complex. It's actually, ceasefire relationships are more tiring and complex than relationships you might have with an enemy. Um, who's heard of the comedian Nate 
Bargazi or whatever, right? I mean, he does this great thing about what it's like to fight in the house with your wife when the fight is over, but no one is talking to each other. And then you've got to walk down the hallway, and you kind of walk down. You don't, you don't touch each other because I don't know why, you know. We, of course, have never experienced that, you know. But in our house, there's a sense in which we walk in, and when there is a ceasefire in our home, Bono knows about it because he doesn't know what to do. There is something in the air that is crackling. It's not a crazy kind of war, but there's the ceasefire, and he's like, where am I, where am I going? What am I, what am I doing? This is too complex. I, th I think I'm just going to go outside, you know? It takes more energy to be engaged in these ceasefire relationships because they sand down our soul. And the reason they sand down our soul is because it's a constant reminder that things are not the way that they should be. Whether it's between a husband and a wife, whether it's between a father and a daughter, whether it's between a co-worker, whether it's between a boss, there's the sense of like, there isn't the sense of peace, but we're just not going to talk about it. We're going to put our head down. We're going to do our job. And it just sands your soul down. It's just raw, and there's just less of it. Peace is not simplistic. Peace is something that is complete and whole, but it's not simplistic. It's complex with many different aspects and many moving parts working together. The idea of peace is that something is working in the way that it was designed to work. And so often we think of the idea that, okay, how do I bring peace to my life? I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to opt out of the rat race. Uh, because it's these external circumstances that are causing me to be in a place that does not bring me peace. So like I said at the beginning, think of Joseph and Mary. I mean, think of, think of Joseph's life. Right at the beginning, he's going to marry this woman who's now pregnant. Okay, now that they're pregnant, now he has to travel all the way across to Bethlehem. Now they get to Bethlehem and there's no opportunity for them to stay in a guest room or guest house. And so they're staying in the stable with the animals. There is no external peace for this man and woman. And yet, yet out of her is born the Prince of Peace. It should speak to us in terms of the fact that we, we spend so much energy and focus trying to bring peace to our external environment and are not looking internally on what it could mean to live with a sense of brokenness in our context. Look, life is complex. It has a lot of moving parts. More power to you if you can figure out how to simplify that. More power to you. But just because life is complex doesn't mean that something is broken. And we live in the Western world. We, we have different challenges to the people that are living in Nepal or Africa or China. And these are our challenges. There are things that are missing. There are things that are out of alignment. There are things that are broken where, where shalom is not possible. On vacation, Karen loves to um, make puzzles. And, uh, and so she'll put the puzzle on the, on the dining room table uh, you know, where, we, where we have vacation. And... Um, one year, just one year, because I've learned my lesson. So one year, I took a piece of the puzzle. <laughs> and, I, and I hid it. Until she was looking all over for it, and then I came in and I just 
I just plonked it in and, and finished the puzzle. Okay. I know, I've never done it again. I am teachable, I can learn from things, okay? But man, was there a sense in which something was broken and unfinished and there was lack of peace with Karn, you know? There was a sense of, what did I do? Did I lose it? What, what happens now? Where, where could it possibly be? The sense of like, something needs to be complete, but there is something that is missing. And for us, we experience that in our souls. Biblical shalom does not make things easier or somehow magically put things together. Simplicity does not guarantee peace, and complexity is not synonymous with chaos. I want to I emphasize that. Simplicity does not automatically guarantee peace, and complexity is not synonymous with, peace, uh, with chaos. Peace and order are connected. Administration does lay a platform for peace, but it does not guarantee it. I want to say that there cannot be peace without order, but they, there can be order without peace. And so there is a sense of connection with these two things. But it's not about what we're doing and where we're doing it. It's about who we're doing this with and for. Ultimately, we are doing it for Jesus and for his glory. And so a change in possessions, circumstances, geography, yeah, it can bring a temporary reprieve. There's something less to worry about. Certain things are in good standing, but it doesn't guarantee a deep down peace because all these things are external. I think sometimes we we look at our lives as like a a Lego kind of piece, right? We have the the instructions and kind of, I'm into Lego right now, I'm a bit of a nerd. And and every piece has its place and if something's missing, it's not there. And and, and so we're like, okay, if I put everything in that place, then I'm I'm gonna receive peace. Everything will work in that way. Challenges, our lives are not like Lego. Our lives are like a mosaic. Because God takes broken things and puts them together into a pattern that makes beauty. And mosaics are complex. They're not simple. In fact, mosaics, if you can put it up there, mosaics are not each piece that is a specific size. Mosaics are tiles that are intentionally broken back when people did mosaics in the Roman time and then are are put together to create a picture. And so we look at that and, and we actually say, okay, I want everything to be perfect. I want my life to be no stress. Um, if I have this position, this circumstance, this geography, then everything will be fine. But what we don't realize is that God is actually taking the broken pieces of our lives and he's fashioning something that is beautiful and ultimately will bring him glory. Because when you, when you look at that piece, you don't go up to that piece and you say, oh, you are such a good piece. Oh, you, you go to the artist and you say, what an amazing job you've done. Mosaics have sharp edges. The pieces are not all the same. It takes vision, intentionality, and creativity to see what can be created out of brokenness. And peace is present when the broken pieces of our lives fit together and form order and beauty. But it doesn't mean that those pieces aren't broken anymore. It just means that they create a picture that glorifies God. And so as we pursue the giver of peace... We need to ask ourselves, okay, well then, if that isn't what, what peace is, if it isn't a greeting, if it isn't a ceasefire, if it isn't this, okay, let's simplify my lives, what is it? Well, peace is a person. 
Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, not only has he broken down the wall of hostility, that which created the opposite of peace, there's hostility and peace between God and man, but he's also broken down the wall of hostility between man and man, between Jew and Gentile. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews." 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. This is beautiful. When you think of Jesus, there is no incompleteness, there is no fracture, there is no brokenness in him. He's the most complete human being in the world because he was God incarnate walking on our world, yet he was willingly broken for us. It's his broken body that makes us whole, and it is his resurrected body that secures ultimate peace for us. And again, this is not just the alignment of a, of a theological principle or an academic idea. The fact that he is our peace means that he is our prince of peace and we get to walk with him daily. He's not the hero in a Western movie that comes and cleans up the town and then walks off into the sunset after the problem is taken care of. Jesus comes, restores peace because he wants to be with us. And why does he want to be with us? Because it's only while he is engaged in our lives that we will continue to experience the peace that was offered to us on the day of our salvation. He wants to be with us. So if peace is a person, Jesus is our peace. He also made peace. In Romans 5 verse 1 to 2, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Jesus is both the price that was paid and the prize that we earn. And we didn't do any of it. He's saying, in order to have peace with yourself and with me, there's a price that needs to be paid, and I'm going to pay that price. And in order to pay that price, you're going to receive something that you are not qualified to receive, which is me. You're going to receive fellowship with me. He's both the price and the prize. He made restitution for the damage done through sin, and he paid what was necessary to complete that relationship. In a solution that is not logical, in a solution that is full of brokenness, that through death comes life, through weakness comes strength, in a solution that no one could have ever imagined, this is how he chose to bring peace. And lastly, peace is purposeful. This is probably one of my favorite scriptures where it talks about how peace is defensive. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard, garrison 
your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. The picture there that God's peace is like a, a garrison of soldiers that surrounds your mind and heart. And for me, this is a deeply encouraging thing because he is not, Jesus is not just guarding my thought life, what I think about, uh, what I obsess about. He's also guarding my emotional life. That the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That is a promise that we have. He is guarding our thoughts. He is guarding our feelings. The only thing we need to do is stay in that castle. Why? Because he garrisons around that. The peace of God is not only defensive, but is, it's offensive. And not offensive in the sense that it offends you. It's offensive in the sense that it is, it is a tool of offense. Romans 16 verse 20. I love this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I love that. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Why is that such a powerful statement? It's because the upside down kingdom is what will do this. It's Jesus came in weakness to show his strength. He was broken so that we could have um, completeness and wholeness. And so in this way, it is the peace of God that will crush Satan under your feet. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and even though its final victory will be consummated when Jesus returns, Jesus modeled the fact that we have authority in this world to expect that things will be different. And peace is active. It's intentional. It's powerful. It isn't just a defensive thing. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And there's a difference between those that are peacekeepers and those that are peacemakers. A peacekeeper is someone that will agree to or do anything to just keep the peace. But a peacemaker goes into a situation, which is where Jesus was, and said, this is not right. In order for there to be shalom and flourishing, things need to change. And what are we called? We're not called peacekeepers. We're called peacemakers. So we, we have to be strong to make peace. It takes someone strong to be able to mediate between two powers and actually be able to say, you don't get this, you don't get this, but we're going to create a peace. Rather than just saying, okay, no one do anything and, and we can keep the peace. No, we need to make peace, which means you need to be strong. You need to be powerful to do that. We have been made peacemakers. We have the privilege to join Jesus as he creates beauty out of brokenness so that we can point people to the ultimate peace. Not only do we receive this peace, but we have become carriers of this hope and peace and love and joy. And in Hebrews 12 verse 14, it doesn't say be open to peace or experience peace. It says pursue peace. Pursue it with an intentionality, with a focus. Pursue peace. Pursue it. It's, it's something that we give ourselves to. During this time, band, you can come up. During this time of active preparation and waiting and longing, during this time of active frenetic activity, I want us to just intentionally slow down and, and stop. Thomas Merton said this, man is not at peace with his fellow man 
because he's not at peace with himself. He's not at peace with himself because he's not at peace with God. And so during this time, I want you to answer these questions. God, what is, what is broken in my relationship with you, in my relationship with others? What is an area where I'm actually asking for you to come and to bring peace in that area? Where am I, where am I in ceasefire rather than pursuing peace? What relationship do I need to engage in as a, as a peacemaker and ask for forgiveness? What relationship do I need to stand in there and be strong? Because ceasefire is not the same as peace. What is, what is broken in my relationship with others? What is it that God can take and make a thing of beauty? How do I pursue this peace? What is broken in my world? In a room like this with so many different people, there are things that we feel more deeply than others. Some of us are focused on what is happening in the Middle East, all of these conflicts. Some of us are focused in terms of what's happening in our combative country. What is broken in this world? Jesus, how can I bring peace? How can I trust the Prince of Peace to make something beautiful out of this brokenness? It's a man called Henry Longfellow. And I love names like that. And he wrote a poem on Christmas Day in 1863. He was known as America's poet. Two years before that, his wife died in a freak accident. She, she got burnt. She was using you know, the wax that you seal letters with. Um, and in a freak accident, she died. She got burnt. He, he put out her body. His son left without his permission to join the Union Army during the Civil War and was badly injured. And on Christmas Day, he hears the Christmas bells and he writes this poem. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with that sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. When peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's stand and sing. privileges we have as the called out people of God is to remind ourselves of the meal that brought us peace. It's very rare that someone in a state of war, an enemy, 
that person would pay the price in order for us to have peace with them. But that is exactly what God did through Jesus Christ. Our role is to accept by faith what Jesus said, that he was the way, truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And part of the way that we remind ourselves that we have peace with God because of what Jesus did is with this meal. So I want to invite you now, if you're a Jesus follower, to go to the table at the back on the side. There's wine in the front to grab those elements, and then we'll take communion together. Unto us was born a child, our Savior. As Con reminded us, that song says, born to die. Born that we might receive second birth. We hold in our hands not what was present on that first incarnation of Jesus, but we hold in our hands what was present on the day that he bought peace for us. He became peace for us, paid the price, became the prize. This is his body broken so that you may experience wholeness, take and eat. blood of the new covenant blood that was shed to deal with our sins a blood that is the most powerful instrument that not only gives us peace with God but makes us peacemakers take and drink you may be here this morning And you may be really struggling with a sense of chaos in your life where you really just need someone to pray with you, stand with you, and just ask that the peace that God offers would be a reality, that the brokenness that you're experiencing is something that God can use to shape for His glory. We have people on my left and your right just ready to pray with you and stand with you. I also just felt this idea of ceasefire where there's a sense in which you're dealing with situations where, okay, it's not crazy, but it's not, it's not actually peace. And you could also receive prayer from that. For the rest of us, we're just going to continue with this song, and then I'll, I'll release us. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We know that we are held in the grip of your grace. We know that you came as Prince of Peace. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would experience just a fresh outpouring of what that means, not only to live in the peace that you offered through Jesus Christ, but to be the peacemakers that he's called us to be. Father, strengthen us, I pray, in our inner man. And I pray that you would allow us to experience hope, joy, peace during this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, The formal part of our gathering is over. We continue in the back uh, with some donuts and coffee. Remember, there are guys to pray for you over here. Don't leave if you want to receive prayer. For the rest of us, let's go out there and make peace. Let's go out there and be the church.
Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.